0: This is Mike Smith. We start today with a fantastic panel for you on the very important issue of diversity in B.C. politics. Both major political parties in our province, the governing NDP, the opposition liberals, both aiming for diversity in their ranks. British Columbia is a multicultural and very diverse province we want our politics our government our public institutions to reflect that but as you'll discover here in a a moment this is an issue that's become controversial in the current bc liberal party leadership race okay let's discuss now with my guest renee merrifield renee is the liberal mla in Kelowna mission she is running for the leadership of the bc liberal party and i'm pleased to welcome her back to the show renee thank you for coming on today thank you so much for having me mike You bet. And also on the line is Nikki Sharma. Nikki is the NDP MLA in Vancouver Hastings, and I'm very pleased to welcome her. Hi, Nikki. Good
2: morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, good morning to both of you. All right, Renee, let's start with you and the comments you made in a recent speech that have blown up and become controversial in in the leadership contest in which you, you criticized the NDP. For what you said was a not a, a lack of diversity or what you call token diversity let me play the clip here for you that kind of went viral from your speech and then i'll get you, get your thoughts on it so here's renee Maryfield. this is from a few days ago
3: because they still have five no offense to anyone in the room middle-aged white dudes controlling their entire party they have a photograph of diversity they have token diversity but they don't
0: have it real okay renee so these are the comments that have blown up and become very controversial the new democrats very angry about it let me ask you about about the comments so when you talk about the five the five white dudes who are controlling you say control the ndp who are you talking about there i guess horgan at the top and then what four other white guys (laughs) there's that there's the deputy premier or the house leader which is farnsworth and you've got your whip you've got your
3: caucus chair and your party president all of whom are middle-aged, Caucasian, and
0: male. Right. And what's your, what is your point there? So
3: if I liken it to, um, let's say, what we saw in universities all across the globe, in which we demanded that students go to um, equal gender um, and when we did that, that was a step in the right direction. It was positive. It definitely um, moved the gender and equality issue forward then we 've done other things within the university system to add um, uh, you know race, religions, etc. But what we also had to do was take a look at the administration, the faculty, the boards that control those universities, and see that diversity is is amongst all of that and whether we talk about institutions like universities whether we talk about um parties like we are right now or whether we talk about um corporate north america all of those uh we need to we need to call to account diversity within all ranks including leadership
0: okay let me go to nikki sharma from the ndp nikki renee says the ndp all the senior positions are held by middle-aged white guys What, what do you say to that
2: Well, I found her comments very shocking and um, undermining. And I'm one of the people that she's referring to as a token. Um, So in a single swoop with her comments, she's undermined all of the achievements of the diverse members of our caucus, including our finance minister, who's a proud Jewish woman. I could go through a list of all of the diverse people that are in powerful positions with our party and delivering important things for British Columbians. And, you know, it's not just about us. I represent a city of 52% people that are visible minorities. And these are people that show up for work every day. They work hard for their achievements. And they all had that feeling of being told that their achievements were just tokenism. And that's really demeaning and undermining and really shows uh, a a a party that's out of touch with what's going on in D.C.
0: Renee, what do you say to that?
3: Oh, it's um, it's it breaks my heart to see that because I would agree with Nikki. I would agree that um, that the accomplishments of of significant um, diverse candidates and MLAs within the NDP caucus are, are 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 should never be undermined. And I wasn't. I I in no way intended to undermine any of that accomplishment whatsoever. In fact my audience was my own party in which I was calling them to account. And even if you go 45 seconds before or 45 seconds after, that is who I was calling to account. I actually said verbatim, we have a diversity problem. Um, And I, I honestly believe that the NDP should be lauded for what they've done within their caucus ranks. I, 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 I commend them. I think that some of their party policies have been phenomenal in really not just introducing diversity, but encouraging diversity. Uh, what I was calling to account was that diversity has to be through all of the ranks within an organization. And we've seen the positive effects within um, you know, corporations when you have diverse boards, when you have diverse decision makers, in that you're going to get a better, more creative, more out-of-the-box thinking uh, result. So that's you know that's what I was calling to account, and in no so, way would okay. I ever want to undermine what oh. uh, what any of those incredible MLAs are doing.
0: Okay, so when you said in your remarks that the NDP is just a a, a picture, when you say you look at the, a photograph of diversity, it's just token diversity; it's not real. What so you you meant that what there are no sen- senior senior officials in the in the government who are non-white in the cabinet like when i when i'm looking at the ndp cabinet i see like harry baines is the is the labor minister um bowen ma is a minister of state uh you know raj chohan is the speaker first south asian speaker i mean there there are ravi kalan is the economic development minister bowen ma is a minister of state like so are you saying they're just tokens no, not at all. Okay. Well, what not did you mean by to- what did you mean by tokens then?
3: So, so, what I was saying was that the leadership, the the five, and I said the five. Middle-aged white dudes, and I said that before. I said about the photograph. I was talking about the leadership of the party, but I wasn't actually speaking to the NDP. I wasn't calling the NDP to account in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I was calling my party to account. I was speaking to my provincial council, and. Um, You know, and and I think that we need to unify on the things that are really important, the attack that has ensued, um, you know, the things that are being uh, that I'm being called online and social media. Um, You know, I finally just had to turn it off because it's violence. And I, you know, I I had a a moment last night where I just thought, wow, is it even worth it? Like you try and stand up for diversity. You try and stand up um, for all to be heard, not just women, not just gender orientation identification, but religion and race and education. You know, I grew up where uh, Caucasian was a minority and I, I never I, I never thought that it should be anything okay. other than a diverse slate. So, OK, Nikki, um, let me go, let me go to violence Nikki needs to stop.
0: Nikki, what do you say? to that?
3: Yes. Well, what I
2: say is that from my view, this is an indication of a really deep problem within the B.C. Liberal Party. In Vancouver, the last election, they ran 11 men in all the ridings in in Vancouver. And when Renee made her comments, it was during a leadership forum, and no other leadership candidate stood up to say anything about her comments, which she has yet to say, I'm sorry for. Um, So clearly, this is a party that's out of touch, doesn't understand what's going on in British Columbia, and is struggling to be relevant to represent the voices of British Columbians.
0: All right. Welcome back. As uh, we're continuing the discussion about diversity in B.C. politics, my guests are Renee Merrifield, B.C. Liberal MLA. She's running for the Liberal Party leadership. Uh, Nikki Sharma, NDP MLA, Vancouver Hastings. Uh, Nikki, let me go back to Renee's original point uh, off the top that she said that basically you've got five five white guys in the prominent positions in the caucus, including the premier, the caucus chair, the deputy premier, the government whip and the party president, all, as, as she put it, middle-aged white guys. What do you say to that specific point?
2: Well, I say that that's offensive and erases the work of all of the diverse voices we have in our caucus that are in major leadership positions and delivering things for British Columbia. I could go through a list that you already went through. of of our members with really significant portfolios for British Columbians. And, you know, I think I'd like to go back to the bigger problems with the BC Liberals. Jazz Joel, who I know you all know well, said very directly that the BC Liberals have used minorities as cannon fodder in their elections. And even went so far as to call it structural and institutional racism, what's going on with the BC Liberals. So for the comments that Renee made, which she's yet to say I'm sorry for, I think with Apology 101, you say, I'm sorry, and then you do the work to figure out how to get there, and it's hard work, and I'm waiting for the BC Liberals to actually commit
3: to doing that in a real way.
0: Okay, Renee, what, what do you say to that? I mean, do you, do you take yeah. back anything that you said there? <laughs>
3: The, the irony is that that is exactly what I was doing. I was calling the BC Liberals to account. I was calling forward a higher level of, of diversity and true diversity. Diversity where, and as I said... All voices are welcome to the table. All voices are heard and making decisions. You know, and, and I, I, I love Sheryl Sandberg. And, and one of the quotes I read this morning is, we need to open our eyes to the inequality that remains. We won't unlock the full potential of each other and our spaces until we hear how far from equality we really are. That's what I was doing. I was calling sure. my own party to account.
0: Okay, Nikki. Your thoughts.
3: But while you were doing
2: that, you made a comment that erased the work of diverse voices with the BC NDP caucus. And what I think you need to do if you're writing for BC Liberal candidate or a leader for that party is to say, I'm sorry for those comments. And it's not just about me as a politician that's at the seat. It's for all those people that are visible minorities and people of color that work hard for their achievements. And they've had that feeling where they get to the table, they finally get to the table and they're looked at as tokens. And it's those words that you need to just say, I'm sorry for. And I'm yet I've yet to hear that.
0: Renee.
3: I believe and I you know, I, I Mike, I understand that you're not having us kinda do a Uh, she said, she said, and argue back and forth. Nikki, I'm very, I welcome the opportunity to sit down and have a cup of coffee and, and discuss these things further because I think there's more that unites us than what actually divides us on this particular topic. I actually am one of the ones who have stood up and has, has advocated for, um, whether it be racial minorities, whether it be religious minorities, whether it be, um, you know, gender minorities. And I am someone who viciously fights on behalf of those. You know, I'll tell you a story. I, you know, about 10 years ago, I was asked to run for one of our water boards because I I own a, a farm in southeast Kelowna. And one of the, I said no. I said, I'd like you to ask my five neighbors who surround me, who are all of South Asian descent, because we don't have a single South Asian on that board, and yet 85% of our farmland out in Southeast Kelowna is actually farmed. Okay. by
0: South
3: Asian Nick, that's, that's who I am. That's what I am about. That is what I will stand for. And that is what I am calling out my party for and okay. asking us to come to a higher
0: level and so, a higher account. So Nikki Sharma, she, Renee says, she, you know, she's calling out her own party. Your thoughts?
2: I'm curious what her comments might be on the leadership uh, candidacy of somebody like Aaron Gunn, who is pretty openly uh, vying for BC BC liberal leadership and bringing along a lot of white supremacist views. And I, I didn't really hear a clear denunciation from any of the B.C. liberal candidates. And I'd love to. If we're really committed to diversity, we need to make sure that those people that are standing in the way of doing that are not getting the platform and the actually, you know, run, almost running for B.C. liberal leadership Um, and, and, you know,
3: not being denounced clearly by every single person. So again, I'm, you know, I'll respond to that directly. Number one, I don't know, Aaron, I've never had a conversation with him. Therefore, I'm not going to comment on him personally. I didn't even know who he was until the leadership race. Number two, he is not running for the BC leadership. Um, And that was a decision made by Leoc. I know what I, it took me, I had to download every single thing I would ever said on social media. I had to do a criminal record check, a credit check. I mean, I had to fill out paperwork, do interviews, etc., just to try and uh, and and get my name on a but ballot. But do you think so do you think the party You
0: to trust the process? You d- you think the party did the right thing in blocking his candidacy?
3: I, I, I'm not privy to the information. So what I would say is that I am focused on the candidates who are there and on, on really calling our party to where we could be and to how we could actually move forward into the next election.
0: Okay, Nikki Sharma, your, your, your thoughts? Well, I'm just really sorry to hear that
2: as such a champion of diversity, she wouldn't very simply just announce Erica's comments. Even if he's not running as a B Two of a leadership candidate. Um,
3: Sorry, Nikki, I, I don't even know what that. comments you're referring to. I do not, I've never read anything online on, on Aaron Gunn. I, I apologize. It's, you know, it, it is, it's, I will denounce absolutely comments that are made. I will, I will, I will talk about diversity. I will call forward the best, but I am not going to talk about something that I have no experience with. That would be absolutely, um, yeah, that, that would
0: be horrible. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the looming BC ski season now. The temperature is starting to drop. Won't be long. Maybe get that first dump of snow, and then it's time to hit the slopes. Now, what are the rules with regard to the vaccine card when you want to go skiing in British Columbia? Well, that depends on which ski resort, which hill you go to. It varies from resort to resort. Let's check in on what's going on in Whistler. John Koenig, he's a longtime time Whistler resident. He started that petition to require the vaccine card to ride the gondola up on Whistler Mountain. John, it's nice to have you on again. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for the invitation.
0: Hey John, how many signatures you got in your petition now?
1: Well, we just passed 10,000 during your show.
0: Oh, okay, we just we just went over 10,000. Is that How would you quantify that number? I mean, that's a lot, right? I mean, you're talking like are most of the people signing it residents of Whistler?
1: Well, they are a lot from the Lower Mainland, and we have some yep. international signatures as well. But uh, Whistler's population is twelve thousand, so yeah. Well, there I you go. Got a lot of support.
0: Yeah, and what are you trying to achieve there?
1: Well, we're trying trying to get a change in policy. We want to see a vaccine card um, mandatory to access the mountain. Uh, Whistler and Blackcomb have five gondolas. We have more gondolas than any resort. In Canada, so it's very important to make that change here.
0: Yeah, and why why is it important, in your opinion, to show proof of vaccination to particularly to ride those gondolas?
1: Because we're in such a tight, poorly ventilated space. Um, yeah. Literally, we're you're shoulder to shoulder, leg to leg, breath to breath. And uh, once the gondola leaves the station, there's no mass police or anything. It's up to the people. A lot of people will be panting, uh, have wet um, neck tubes that are called um, substitutes for masks. It's just not a safe environment at all. So we need need to change.
0: Okay. It's interesting to see different rules at different resorts. And let me play a clip here for you, John. This is Matt Mosteller from the Resorts of the Canadian Rockies. And on their rules requiring proof of vaccination at their resorts. Let's have a listen
4: is to take care of the guests in the safest uh, possible way we want to take care of our team in the safest possible way so we thought together um, let's require proof of COVID immunization records to access all our facilities.
0: Okay Matt Mostatler there he's saying at at his resorts his company's resorts you will have proof of vaccination required there to use the gondola here's Mike Ballingall though vice president of Big White and why there's no vaccine requirement uh, to ride the lifts there.
4: They're all outdoor lifts, but one, and that one is the gondola. And the gondola ride is only two and a half to three minutes. Mandatory to wear a mask because you're inside with others.
0: Okay, so I can see, John, how maybe you could make a case for you don't need a vaccine requirement if you're riding on a ski lift that's completely open,
1: right? But when you're talking, I agree. If we we had all chair lifts, uh, we wouldn't even have started this petition. Um, so, but we have, as I said, five gondolas, and uh, a, a skier can easily spend a, a two hours a day inside gondolas because a lot of our our good runs are served by gondolas.
0: Right, and as it exists right now, the Whistler season is supposed to be. Are, are they looking at full capacity up there? I mean, would they be limiting the number of people going into those gondolas, or or not?
1: No, they they say the plan is to load at full capacity. Right. And what that means is absolutely full. Um, singles will ha- be in their separate lineup and jump into any available seat in a gondola. So we will be packed in there like sardines.
0: Okay, John. Speaking of John Koenig and his petition, they want uh, his supporters want a proof of vaccination, the BC vaccine card, to ride the ski lifts in Whistler, including those enclosed gondolas. Uh, let me play a clip here for you, John, from Dr. Bonnie Henry. She, of course, was asked about this. And you'll hear her make the case here that, look, the ski hills are, are going to be safe this winter. Here's Dr. Henry.
2: We know that there's very strong protection plans, and uh, my colleagues have been working with each of the ski hills to make sure that they are robust.
0: Okay, John, what do you think of that? She says there are, there are good safety plans in place on the ski hills.
1: Well, except for the gondolas. They're, they're not safe. <laughs> that's, that's the mistake they've made. Um, they, as, I, as I've repeated many times, uh, there are small, unventilated space, and we're packed wow. in there. Um, so uh, I think it's been an oversight that should be reviewed. Um, uh, Minister Dix um, said uh, he, he has been talking to our mayor, and uh, who's advocating strongly uh, on behalf of the community, and he suggested that the uh, Whistler Black Home should change its policy in light of what the community wants. But unfortunately... Whistler Blackcomb doesn't make the decisions. The decisions are made in Vail, Colorado.
0: Yeah, Vail, Colorado is the headquarters for Vale Resorts, right? Which is the US company that owns Whistler,
1: correct? Yes. Yes, they have yeah. thirty three resorts in the United States, but actually their headquarters is in Bloomfield, Colorado.
0: Oh okay. And your point there is is what? Because they're a foreign owned corporation that runs this mountain. I don't know, maybe they, they're out of touch with the, what the people want on the ground, do you think?
1: Yes, I think they have a policy that works for the United States, and, and uh, they have a lot of political issues, and decisions are made based on politics and not necessarily COVID safety, and they need to negotiate that down there. But up here, we want to see the policy change, and it should be a made in Canada policy. So um, we like to see the local management make the change for sure. Right.
0: Speaking of John Koenig, he's campaigning for proof of vaccination at Whistler to ski Whistler this winter. Uh, John, the the vaccine card is required to enter a, a sit down restaurant in British Columbia. And of course, there are restaurants on, on the in Whistler. Like, you got to show the vaccine card there, right? Including to, like, do you have to show the vaccine card to go into like a cafeteria or a restaurant on the mountain?
1: Yes, you do. And, and that's, another, that's another problem. How are, how are they going to police that? One assumes that the people without vaccines will be able to go in and access toilets and such. And how will they keep them from then going into the restaurant area? It's just going to require a lot of policing and it's not going to make for a pleasant day on the mountain.
0: Why would the policing be required? You mean like if, if people don't have a vaccine card, but they want to use the bathroom, they'll be allowed in?
1: Well, what I'm, yeah, what I mean is these, these are big cafeteria-style restaurants. They have lots of entrances, duh. Um, so you would have to have people making sure the unvaccinated don't come in so, because they're not supposed to. And then if they're allowed into the toilet, how do you keep them from going into the seated restaurant area? So it would require a lot of staff, and staff shortages are, con- are certainty this winter.
0: Yeah. What are people, uh, community leaders in Whistler, saying? Did you say the mayor has spoken out on this?
1: Yes. Uh, well, I, Minister Dix quoted the mayor as advocating strongly for the community, and he said he had a call from him, and yeah. they discussed the issue. And after the call, um, Minister Dix said the company should react to the, need, uh, the, sorry, the desires of the community. But uh, oh. huh. I'm not confident that will happen. I'd rather see the provincial provincial health authority change the regulations. Do you
0: do you think that I don't know maybe Vail Resorts is worried about a, a business fall off if the vaccine card is required, that maybe there would be fewer customers. I I'm just wondering if might if the opposite might be true. If you brought in the vaccine card, you give customers more confidence that they'll be safe on the visiting Whistler and going skiing. And going into the, in these packed gondolas with other with other people, if everyone else is vaccinated, that gives you a little bit more a little bit more confidence, I imagine. So, I mean, yeah, I, I wonder I, if there's a business. What you think of the business case here?
1: I think it, from a business standpoint, it makes sense to have this requirement because I just saw a British magazine evaluating how safe each is uh, to ski were. Like internationally, in the United States, they didn't recommend so much. But uh, and and they're looking at places like Austria and Italy. They have vaccine mandate requirements. So they're kind of recommending those places. So I think it's a great business decision to go ahead with this.
0: Right. And we've already seen some outbreaks, COVID outbreaks in Whistler that ended up uh, shutting the mountain down. And I, I know people are running businesses up there. They don't want to see a repeat of that.
1: Yeah, of course not. If the mountain uh, shuts down, uh, our, our businesses are in big trouble. A lot of people get laid off, and business owners have a hard time paying the rent.
0: Okay, John, where does your campaign go from here now? I mean, you've got 10,000 signatures. Uh, you know, Do you intend to present this petition to Bonnie Henry or someone else, or what's the plan?
1: Well, we're just going review, to review our plans. Some people are calling for protests. Some people are calling for boycotts. Uh, oh. uh, we really haven't decided where to go next with this, but uh, we're, we're trying to reach uh, the Provincial Health Authority through all channels, and uh, they are uh, supposedly working with Lister Blackcomb. So if we get them on side, maybe we'll get a change.
0: Okay, we're following it closely, John. Thank you for coming on today. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, welcome back to the show. There are lots of incentive programs out there to get you to go green and make environmentally friendly choices when it comes to things like transportation. So, for example, if you buy an electronic electric vehicle, a battery-powered car, yeah, you can get rebates from BC Hydro and other places. What about... An e bike. What if you buy a battery powered bike, an electric bike? These are getting lots more popular. Should there be rebates? for e-bikes incentives to get you on a bike especially an electric bike well check this out in the district of north vancouver city councilor there proposing a rebate and incentive for people who buy an e-bike in north van let's discuss that now with my guest jordan back he's a district of north vancouver councilor and i'm very pleased to welcome him to the show councillor thank you for coming on today
4: good morning mike thank you very much for having me on i appreciate your interest in this
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate you being here. So tell me why you're such a fan of the e bike Well,
4: personally, I became a fan uh, about two years ago, just before the start of the pandemic, uh, when I purchased my first e-bike. For over a decade, I was a commuter myself, commuting from my home in North Vancouver to downtown. Uh, and I did that, as I say, for a long time. Um, but, uh, when I purchased my e-bike, I was quickly, um, surprised at how, how much fun it was to begin with to ride one of these things and how easy it was to just replace a lot of my day-to-day trips, including my daily commute, uh, on this bike.
0: Okay. So you take an e-bike from North Vancouver to downtown. Is that right?
4: Well, my office is now in Burnaby, but yeah, same same wow. thing. I, I do commute daily on it. Uh, I would say about sixty percent of the time. Uh, you know, there's still days I'll, I'll need my car, but um, a good portion of the time, I'm on the e bike.
0: Okay, what is the? Uh, why do you like it so much?
4: I think what I like about it is that um, you know I get a little bit of exercise, and these are electric pedal assist. So you still have yeah. to pedal. It's, it's not as though uh, you can just throttle it up and, uh, and go without pedaling. It's still a bicycle. So you're getting some exercise. I find it clears my head uh, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. just having that. Um, and um, but it is electric assist. So, you know, you can you don't have to sweat. You can sort of ride on a nice day. You can just ride whatever you're wearing for the day to the office and uh, show up feeling, you know, refreshed and recharged.
0: Okay, and it really helps on the hills, right? we got lots of hills all over Metro Vancouver, man. When you got an e-bike, that helps you get up those hills, I imagine.
4: Well, that's what makes these things a game-changer, particularly yeah. where we are on the mountainside on the north shore of Vancouver. I mean, everywhere you go, there's hills, and these really just flatten the hills out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that would be the big advantage. I, I can certainly see the attraction of it. Speaking to District of North Vancouver City Councilor Jordan Back, how much are how much is a good e-bike these days?
4: So they're not cheap. And I guess therein lies uh, the reason for my motion uh, that I'm yep. bringing forward. Um, you know, they start from what I can find around $2,000, but yeah. they quickly go up from there. And I would say the majority of them are probably in that three to $5,000 range. Wow.
0: Yeah, now that is a lot for, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That might be a deal mm-hmm. breaker, a high price tag. So tell me about your, your plan to help people out on that with the rebate you have in mind or the incentive. So, Mike, I was inspired
4: by what's happening actually over where you are on the island uh, in the District of Saanich, where they recently brought forward a similar e-bike incentive rebate program. Um, And in speaking with their staff, uh, they said it's the most popular e-bike program that they've ever brought forward. And what they did basically is um, open it up to uh, 300 participants, uh, a basic incentive of $350, um and a more a deeper uh, incentive up to sixteen hundred dollars for income qualified uh, individuals and uh, they allotted uh, around two hundred and fifty thousand dollars toward the pilot program and like I say it's been very successful so inspired by that um, I'm bringing a similar motion forward to my council next week to uh, direct staff to take a look at creating one of these pilot programs uh, in our community.
0: Okay, so if you if you live in the district of North Vancouver, you buy an e-bicycle, a battery-powered bike, you potentially could get what a 350 bucks from the municipality. Correct?
4: That's right. That's that's basically what we're looking at. Yep, either at time of purchase uh, or after you purchase the bike, you could uh, apply for that.
0: Okay, why would that be in the interest of North Vancouver taxpayers? Like if people are listening and saying, "Wait a minute." you know, you're going to take $350 of my money and give it to someone to buy a bike. What's up with that? Like, can you make the case for that? Why would that be in the public interest to do that?
4: Absolutely, Mike. So every week, several times a week, we talk, I talk to residents uh, about traffic congestion. It seems to be, you know, the main topic of conversation on the North Shore. We have two bridges and they are regularly clogged and and you hear them on your traffic reports on this radio station. Um, And I think solving that is going to involve a number of different things. I mean, we have just uh, invested the province and our municipality in a highway interchange project that's costing hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, We're advocating for more transit investments harder than ever before on the North Shore, and and both of those things are certainly needed. Um, But I think uh, that e-bikes could represent a small piece of that solution. And the more people we can get onto e-bikes, those are cars that are off the road. And not to say that you have to completely give up driving, because I know that's not the reality for a lot of people, including myself. There are times when I need a vehicle. Um, And for some people, they need their vehicle every day. Uh, For instance, if they're working in the trades and they need to bring their tools, but every time we get somebody off the road, it, it, it makes a big impact and collectively, I think, could make quite a big impact on our road network. Um, and even if that just means people are replacing 30, 40, 50 percent of what would otherwise be daily car trips. And that, that's what's happened in my case. I'm living it firsthand uh, and realizing that it is doable.
0: OK, speaking of that commute and going over those bridges, as you mentioned, what's it like doing uh, the commute on a bike over the bridge?
4: Um, it's pretty good. I've, uh, for my own commute, I found a route that works really well. Uh, I'm able to get onto protected bike lanes or a multi-use pass for the majority of the trip. But I think, yeah. um, you know, a key element of getting people on bikes is making sure that they feel safe. And that's yeah. why we need safe, connected bike routes. And I don't, uh, want to, uh, have a program like this come forward at, at t- to, the cost of not being able to, um, produce those safe, connected routes. So I think these things have to happen in tandem. I know in our community, we're investing more than we ever have in uh, safe, active transportation routes, and that needs to continue.
0: right. Speaking of District of North Vancouver, City Councillor Jordan Back. Okay, so you're arguing that this outlay of public funds would be good because you'd you'd reduce traffic congestion if you get more people on a bike. I I assume there's an environmental case to be made, too right well that's
4: absolutely it you know and that's that's one of the concerns i hear and, and when i posted this on social media that you know one of the concerns was, well this shouldn't necessarily be a concern of local government but the reality is mm-hmm. local governments are being asked regularly to bring forward solutions to some of their biggest issues whether it's transportation whether it's housing climate action um, the reality is you know we have targets to hit as, as a municipality in terms of Getting people to shift out of vehicles and into other forms of uh, transportation. We have uh, climate emissions targets that we want to hit in terms of GHG reductions, and I yeah. think uh, a program like this would check off a lot of those boxes.
0: How about public health? Like, if you just get people on a bike, is that going to make people healthier? And can you get healthier on, a, on an electric bike? I mean, if the battery is doing the work, you you still getting exercise? Well, that's the thing. Um, I can speak
4: anecdotally, um, because I'm also a cyclist. I ride a mountain bike. I ride a road bike. But what I'm seeing with e-bikes, and, and I, we need some more data on this, but I'm seeing people that haven't ridden in years, or, or maybe they've never ridden at all, and they're realizing um, you know, how much an e-bike can open up uh, cycling for them, You know, flattening out those hills. Um, and a lot of seniors are able to continue riding because of e-bikes. I see great big groups of seniors uh, on the North Shore riding, and the majority of them are riding e-bikes.
0: Yeah. Right what are the uh what's the battery life like on those bikes? It depends on how
4: much assist you're using at any given time, so if you're yeah. riding on the flats and you're not using a lot of the battery assist because you can you can change the level of, of assist um, mm-hmm. you know you can easily get uh sixty to eighty kilometers if you're using more assist uh, on a regular basis then uh, then less but um, I find the range has never been an issue
0: okay now they're certainly very cool that that is for sure I'll, mm-hmm. I'll certainly grant you that now this would be a pilot project would it be like what the the number of people participating in the project would it be capped or would it be like everyone everyone in the entire district buys an e-bike they get 350 bucks or would you put a limit on it um
4: so these sort of details are what i'm going to leave up to staff and what they come back in their recommendation but i think um i like pilot programs we do pilots for a number of different things uh they, they put a firm end date on it they force us to um, sort of see how we're going to measure success and define that early on. Um, but yes, I think there would be some sort of a cap, um, but yeah. it would be open to, to, to all residents. One other thing I wanted to add, and that is that last summer, uh, our community and, and in conjunction with the other two municipalities on the North Shore launched an e-bike share program. So these mm. are uh, e-bikes that can be shared by anyone in the community. And uh, that's been very successful. So I think there'll be a lot of people that may have tried one of these e-bike shares Uh, They're called line bikes, Uh, maybe got a taste of of what it's like to ride one of these and and may want to invest in one. And this might just be the sort of incentive that might get them to do that.
0: Okay. Uh, Last question for you, Councillor. How much would this cost overall? Um, So in
4: Saanich, which is a larger uh, population than ours, um, it was about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, yeah. Now there may be some some other you know grant money from other levels of government, but at the end of the day, I recognize that taxpayers' money uh, comes from you know one taxpayer, and I'm very cognizant of that. Um, but but probably something in the range of two to three hundred thousand dollars is what we can expect.
0: And and what kind of reaction have you got to the idea so far? I mean, are you? Uh, has anyone said to you, "Hell no, don't don't put my tax dollars to this"? You can spend. There's something. There are better priorities for two hundred thousand bucks in North Van than paying people to get an e-bike or are you getting a lot of support for it too like what's the reaction been like
4: a uh, of support so okay. far mike again i just posted it yesterday as our agenda just came out yesterday but so far it's been largely positive i would say 99 percent of the comments that i'm reading and emails that we're receiving are very supportive of this not just from residents but from businesses the chamber of commerce for instance recognizes the power of e-bikes and they in fact lobbied the province to uh, make e-bikes uh, pst exempt which they now are so, um, you know, the support is coming from from all different uh, groups in our community.
0: Okay, we're following it closely. Thanks for coming on to talk about it today.
1: I really appreciate your interest. Thanks a lot, Mike.